1: Hi, I'm Ralf Schumacher, and you're listening to Beyond the Grid. Hi all, and welcome
0: to Beyond the Grid, presented by the new Bose noise-cancelling headphones 700. My name's Tom Clarkson, and I'm joined this week by a driver who on his day was a match for anyone. He drove for Jordan, Williams and Toyota in an F1 career that spanned 11 years, and he's also got a very familiar surname. I'm talking, of course, about Ralph Schumacher. Ralph won six races during his Grand Prix career, and anyone who saw him drive in his first season in 1997 might tell you that six was a poor return for his ability. After all, he finished on the podium in only his third Grand Prix for Jordan. But Ralph found himself in the right teams at the wrong time. And he also raced in an era when brother Michael was enjoying unprecedented success with Ferrari. A few years away from the F1 paddock has mellowed Ralph somewhat and he's also become a racing dad in recent years because his son David is now in Formula 3. We caught up at the Russian Grand Prix last month and it was good to see Ralph again. He looked fit and relaxed and what he had to say was very interesting. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Ralph, great to see you. Lovely to have you on the show. Uh, Damn it. You're looking really well. I don't think you've put one kilo on since you I retired. Don't know,
1: maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, look, what do I, I don't even know what I call you these days. Are you a team principal?
1: Are you a driver manager, racing dad, all of the above? Well, it's a combination, I'd say. I mean, obviously, since I have the karting team, the Formula Four and the Formula Regional, this new class, uh, which is in between the Formula Three International and the old one. Uh, yes, I'm a team principal and uh, enjoying working with young talents. Uh, and their parents, which sometimes is most of the, or the biggest job, especially in karting and 4104. Apart from that, uh, certainly David uh, uh, takes a big part of my life now with supporting him and looking after him. Uh, plus uh, some sky, Germany. <laughs> I'm really interested that you're doing all of this karting
0: and US racing and things. Is it What was the motivation? Is it is it you giving something back to the sport?
1: Well, the motivation, honestly, is if my, my whole life was motorsport and, and racing and uh, saying that I was, uh, well, I stopped Formula One. And for me, it was always clear not being one of those guys, being in a paddock, walking around, doing nothing. So I just didn't want to come anymore and just enjoyed my life, but uh, enjoyed as well my time with David. And uh, doing that, I did my own karting team. It started off and then I came, I came across, you know, after DTM with Gerhard Unger. And there we were, and it's called us because of us. Gerhard and myself, not us, by the way. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, it's us, Unger Schumacher. So that's uh, that's uh, how the name came in because it's always difficult to find a name. Yeah, that's uh, how it how it uh, all went so far. Then we had this new Formula Regional theme, and uh, we saw the race here. and I believe it, and that's why we said, okay, we do that as well.
0: How are you as a racing dad? Do you get nervous?
1: Um, in the beginning, I would say, uh, I mean, okay, karting. You know, there's a lot, lot of races happening, and I have to say, if you if you want to enjoy motorsport, you should watch a kart race sometimes because that's very similar to motorcycle. You know, overtaking until the last corner and really fighting and and hard racing. So it's really nice to do that. And at that time, I think yes you can call me a racing that and being quite hard with what i expect and and how to to move on the first car race i remember it it was a bit of a different situation you're kind of nervous as a dad, you know that something can happen or everything goes right the way you'd expected and after you you know relax more and more do you enjoy it well I, i enjoy being at races and uh what i and I enjoy seeing the progress and sometimes obviously there's not only progress, there's some heartbeats about it as well. Uh, but the great thing, whatever will happen in the future is to spend so much time with your kid, I think nobody can give you that back and the relation you, you have, uh, it's really strong and, and really nice. And tell us a little bit about David. Um, how old is he now? We turn uh, 18 end uh, of October. Um, well... What kind of kid is he? Is he like his dad? No, luckily not. No, he's he's nicer than I'm, or than I ever was. I have to say, uh, he, he's a very nice person. I have to say, um, he. Funny enough, I mean, if he goes through the paddock, uh, I mean, you know, me in my times, I'd never like to give interviews and stuff like that. I it was not a part of my life to to satisfy the media. Uh, and for him, uh, it it goes more easy. You know, he, he he's doing that quite well, and the driving bit as well. He. I have to say he's very calm as a person and uh, on the other hand, very focused. So it's, it's quite, uh, in the moment I'm, I'm very happy with the way everything develops.
0: I find it really interesting. And I, I look at you, I look at Jos Verstappen as well. And it seems you're both breeding the next generation and, and you've almost like Jos in particular says very openly, I've learned from my mistakes as a driver and made sure that Max hasn't made those. It, are you sort of giving a lot of your experience as well to David?
1: Well, certainly you try, and certainly you try, especially the things that you know that you did wrong and where you didn't push enough and stuff like that, uh, and you certainly try. But but then, you know, the older they get, they have an own character, and it does sometimes it's not so easy enough to understand and, and learn and make their own mistakes as well. So you can, you know, you can give some, let's say, advice, and sometimes maybe a little harder on advices, but... On the other hand, uh, it's an own character, own life, so uh, they have to to go their own way sometimes.
0: We're, we're chatting in Russia uh, at the Sochi Grand Prix, and I met David very briefly yesterday. Uh, English is impeccable. How many languages
1: does he speak? Well, he's only German and English because he was too lazy to learn French. <laughs> <laughs> he did it in school, but he just, you know, to pass it, uh, which is a shame because uh, actually he could and i guess his english is not too bad because his girlfriend speaks english too so i guess that's why
0: yeah okay well look ralph let, let's talk a little bit about your career now um can you remember the first time you drove a formula one car it was a mclaren at silverstone 1996 can you remember what impression the car made on
1: you mm, well i w- I have to say, at that time, I was driving Formula Nippon, and it was just great to to come to that company to make the seat. And to uh, Dave Ryan was uh, at that time in charge of this, with the, with the other guy, who was it called? Was uh, it Indy Lau. Yeah. yeah, Indy, yeah, yeah. The, the test team manager. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was a real. It was really nice to work with them. And I have to say, then I went out, and um, I, I mean, the car was impressive. Uh, the power was impressive, I would say, but not so much the cornering speed, funny enough. But at that time, uh, the Formula Nippon had ground effect cars in Japan with uh, qualifying tires. And especially Suzuka, we were quite fast. So it, it, was, it was a great day that I remember we did something like more than 110 laps. First day was against David. Second, it was uh, Mika. You were the Formula
0: Nippon champion in 96. Just out of interest, your sort of qualifying time at Suzuka,
1: would that have put you comfortably on the Formula 1 grid? Um, I think we were three seconds off. At that time, the spread in the field was much bigger. Uh, yes, I think three, 3.2 something off the pole position, yeah. I do remember it
0: being... I mean, you got up to speed very quickly in Formula 1 and were so impressive
1: in that first year with Jordan as well. Um, we were lucky. I have to say this, <laughs> no, because... I, there, not lucky, Gary Anderson happened to build an amazing car in 97. Uh, the only problem was, it was young drivers, Giancarlo, myself, and a team that was pretty young, because when we, when we did the first test in that car in Jerez, we couldn't believe how fast it was, nobody expected it. And so we were afraid to take the fuel out because we were really faster than Williams was. And Williams was the team to beat at that time, so anyway, first time we took the fuel out was in qualifying in Melbourne. So we never worked on the car on low fuel, low balance, nothing. And then the two young drivers, myself and, and uh, Giancarlo and myself, we we couldn't do it. The grip wasn't there and, uh, and it didn't work. Then we went to Argentina, as you might remember. It was then the race after, I think it was the second race at that time, I don't know. And it was completely stupid because we could have won it. I know. <laughs> and yeah, but it was, if you look at it after, you know, jordan was strong enough the year after to take a team decision on damon and myself and if at that time giancarlo was simply slow at that race at that moment could have changed after you know but it was so stupid because we would have won easily by 10 o- because i finished second i think with the crash and extra pit stop 19 20 seconds behind jack in that car and it was, would have won easily the race which was a shame but ralph for people who can't remember so you and fizzy
0: collided in that race Yes. You, <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> what I did I
1: was, DJ say to you after? Now no, that uh, nobody said anything, I mean, obviously that was a bit. Uh, but at the end of the day, it was a clear mistake by the team not uh, to handle the situation properly. Uh, because you know, if you have, what do you expect from two twenty-year-old twenty-year-old uh, drivers? They want to win. Um, and the biggest shame about it was, you know, then obviously after team started to develop and Jordan was too small. So we did not use the best uh, out of that car. God, how even now I'm sensing a bit of frustration looking back at that race. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, it took me ages (laughs) after to win a race and uh, there was a possibility. And Jordan, and it it always proved to be a great team, even after Eddie, uh, I have to say, was always a very small, compact group of people that, with smaller budget, achieved always a good result. Uh, and it's a shame for the team, I have to say. And in hindsight, to, uh, if you look at Eddie, he, he can't, I mean, he's a great guy. You know, he can always laugh, uh, although I have more than three million reasons uh, to be angry about something that happened afterwards. But, <laughs> uh, but no, I can't with him. Uh, but he had this talent to find young, motivated people, put them in the right positions and make them work certainly did that. What about the relationship with Fisichella in that first season? I, there was none really, you know, after that anyway. And I was not the person to have good relationship with my teammates anyway. So uh, just too competitive. Too competitive. And for me, I don't know. I mean, a team man can teammate can never be a friend so all you expect from him is to work together and and to reach to go with the car with the team and after you fight against him so that's what i expect from a teammate not more not less and i wouldn't spend dinner with the teammate i never did but
0: ralph i find it in a fast you're not alone in thinking that all these drivers i speak to and i sort of wonder sometimes whether did did you guy did you enjoy the journey or was it just so competitive that you sometimes do you look back and think well, perhaps Fizzy and I could have got on because
1: we're quite similar, or, or is it just the nature of the business? Mm, it's, it's the nature of the business, I would say, but it's, it's a, how should I say, I mean, the only, the only guy that I, that I spoke to, even in my career after we worked together, after, and I, this, I said, okay, it's a shame, actually, that was Juan Pablo, because, you know, he's, he's quite a cool guy, but obviously in the team, he tried to beat me, I tried to beat him, and he tried everything, politically, whatever. It was the time, uh, but after all, I have to say he's a, he's a good guy and, and uh, we could have had more fun together. But, you, you know, at that time you're young, all everybody has his manager. And then I really like what Frank does and did and achieved. But Frank is that kind of guy. He likes to have fight in between his drivers because he thinks by doing that, he will get the best out of the drivers. And this is a very old mentality, an old way of working. And, uh, and he just basically, you know, he was not helping the situation. Frank Williams, yes.
0: Before we move on from Jordan, I do I think you've alluded to it, but Spa ninety eight. That ninety eight season. First of all, Damon comes in. Did you welcome him? Were you excited about having a sort of did you see him as a sort of decent benchmark
1: for yourself? What should I say? I mean, for me there was nothing to lose, was only to gain. But Damon didn't take me serious in the beginning. Uh, what do you mean? Well, I mean he was coming from Williams, and he thought you know okay there's somebody easy to to handle and to beat, and it didn't didn 't work out for him at the end, but it uh, doesn't matter he got He got a lot of su- support from the team, obviously coming from Williams, and he deserved at the time uh, but he was he was a rather difficult character as well, but then he was a lot older than I was, you know, more experienced and trying to be clever and maybe being teached by all those a more experienced driver how to politically work against your teammate but this is a this is a thing i maybe that's why i am like i am and especially as a teammate i i couldn't care less or didn't care you know at all did that all come to a head at spa is that what you mean all the political games and, and then when you start you're one and two and i mean okay the team had to take the decision uh, and I understand as a team owner, I would do the same today. Um, but the problem was Damon wanted desperately to win that race. And what he said on the radio is, I'm going to win that race. If Ralph tries to pass me, I'm going to crash into him because we'd rather lose both, but I'm not going to lose against Ralph. That was his saying, and then Eddie took the decision. Um, Did you feel you, you were quicker on the day? I was a lot quicker, but I couldn't, you know, obviously he was weaving and then Eddie was afraid, so he, he said to me, okay, Ralph, please Uh, don't overtake and uh, you know uh, for me it was always clear that uh, I didn't like the decision but it was a decision by by the team by the team owner and you know I I had to follow it and and I did was that the moment where you thought
0: "I I need to move on
1: no, no. Or, no. Was that, or was the Williams deal already in the bag at that no, point? No, no, no. That, com- <laughs> that was completely different. But I have to say, you know, the, the, the problem was the 98 car, as good as the 97 was, as, uh, you know, that, that 98 car was really, really bad. It was so far away from everything and it was so difficult to handle. And we were lucky at that moment. Uh, but before that, and I think it was before that, the first point we scored in Silverstone? it was late wasn't it i remember it being very late yeah yeah and uh what at that time happened because we had a qualifying and, and an engine failing qualifying so I, you know obviously i was last and at that time uh you ha- needed to have p7 in order to get a, to score a point point. and ej came to the grid and said to me ralph uh, just one thing if you don't score a point this race you are out next year Talk about motivating your drivers. I said, okay. Did he really say that on the grid? He said that on the grid, yeah. And uh, so I called Willie and said, okay, you know, one thing is clear, whatever is going to happen, I'm not going to drive next year for this guy because, you know, this is not uh, not fair and there's no behavior because it's not my mistake to build this car, not my mistake to have an, a fa- an engine failure. So I don't want to drive for him anymore. So that was the mission. and That was the decision when uh, I decided not to drive for Jordan anymore. And was Williams the obvious choice? Did you know about BMW c- coming <clears throat> in at that point? I mean, Frank was interested, so he approached us uh, actually at the same weekend, and the in uh, it only happened because Frank was impressed that I because I scored the point, and what happened after the race, EJ came said no 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 forget about what I said and your star blah 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 how he is you know, and uh, I said yeah yeah thanks thanks very much and uh, on the way home I got a call from Willie because Frank called him and asking for for the year after so um, we flew the we did i stay there or did i go there the next day i don't i can't remember signed the letter of intent and then uh, it was clear that i was going to drive for williams
0: so it was that clear for you that that was
1: the right thing for your career i think it was the best option at the time and nobody would have said that williams were going to struggle and i think we 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 achieved the time 2000 2001 i mean we had some successful years the only problem was Mm, the working relationship between England and Germany didn't work out and at the end and I think that that was the major problem otherwise we could have won world championships again in that team why, why was why didn't that relationship work between BMW and Williams yeah. what should I say I know I, I know it's uh, my point of view and I can only see my point of view I think Frank and Patrick overestimated their possibilities, capacities, and chances to run the team uh, in the right direction. Um, I think they should have used BMW more. They were prepared to spend a lot of money to help the team even more, uh, but they refused it. Uh, Do you mean let BMW buy into the team? It was not about buying in. Maybe they, they would have done it eventually because they bought Sauber, you know. Uh, but at that time both of them were so stubborn it was unbelievable so it's just you know they didn't listen at all and we had clear obvious problems and there was a lot of let's say uh, possibilities to fix those problems a lot of support was given and uh, was offered but uh, it, it they didn't want it so at the end it was a decision uh, to leave because um, of no um, you know the results didn't come and nobody wanted to help but, but technically you had the best engine for a couple of seasons. Is that fair to say? I would say sometimes we had more than 60, 70 horsepower advantage, yeah. And so even if there are issues
0: between team and engine partner, are you, do you still have to pinch yourself now that with that kind of advantage, Williams couldn't translate that advantage into a
1: Well, I a think there was, I mean... No, I have to say we could have won a championship. Uh, which year was it when I had the two accidents in a row? Was it 04? You had... Was um, Monza because the, the, the rear suspension well, collapsed? Monza
0: was 03. That crash was 03. And then you went and missed a race, didn't you? And then yeah, 04, you missed six s- races.
1: Yeah, but but that was the same... Wasn't it the same year when we had the two crashes? I don't. No, it was the same year. Wasn't it? Anyway... We, we we really had the chance. The car was there, and then uh, the rear left suspension broke uh, in Lesmo one, and I just had you know just uh, had that accident and concussion and everything, um, so I couldn't race. Otherwise, that year we could have done it. I'm sure because the car, the package was there, and ever after it became more and more difficult. We had some gearbox issues. The rear end was too heavy. Aerodynamics. Remember this this ugly nose we had. You know that all those uh, th- um, things. It was it was really difficult, and help was there, but they didn't want it. How frustrating! Well, after all, it it was very frustrating because to me that. After that, obviously, having a chance to get a top team was impossible. Uh, then there was only Toyota and Sauber I could have gone to. I was going to say, could you have gone with BMW to Yeah, Sauber? but I would have needed... I mean, the problem was at that time, they made a contract with Sauber and that was in, a year in between. And I... There was something very privately happening uh, with Frank and myself and I decided uh, that I couldn't stay there anymore and uh, that's why you know I didn't want to wait a year and that's why I signed with Toyota
0: well look, before we, let's look at some of the highlights because there were still highlights. frustrating that you didn't win the title but you know I want to ask you about a couple of races you know that first win comes at Imola in 2001 um having been so close on a several occasions before what was the overriding emotion do you remember was it relief was it just elation.
1: I mean, it was a special day because <laughs> in the morning, my engine guy tried to start the engine without pressurizing the valves, so they had to take apart the whole. I mean, take off the engine and take everything apart because otherwise, I would have gone backwards on the grid. You know, when we had to change it. anyway, so they did it within two and a half hours. The complete engine was in pieces. Everything, every valve, everything was in pieces. I was really surprised. Put it together, and we won the race. What should I say? Um, I remember Bernie giving me that silver plated thing and uh, he said, it was about time for you. And I said, yes, sorry, it took a bit long. I, I know, but that was about it. And I have to say, there was a like, I think one week or even two weeks later was the next race, was it? No, no I don't know where it was. And Formula One, I mean, yes, you can be happy about what you achieve, but then I was always that guy thinking about the next race. Uh, So, you know, I could enjoy it for a little moment, but I was, uh, you know, once you're there and you achieved it, you want to go on and then, you know, it's a strange thing, but it happened. So, but it was a nice moment for sure. You, You were damn good
0: at Imola. You were really good at Imola every year, I remember. What was it about that track?
1: I don't know. I think it's. But it, would you agree with that? Maybe I, I. don't remember everything about that. It's. It's just. I mean, there's depends on the driving style. Obviously, I, I'm normally. I was always quite late on brakes, so I felt more difficult to drive tracks where you had like long corners. But saying that, I was not slow in Maniqui either. So, but it's. Um, you know, there were tracks you like and tracks you don't like, and maybe Emila was one of the better ones for me.
0: <laughs> you touched on. JPM Juan Pablo Montoya, from the outside, I always felt there was a bit of friction between you two. But you're saying was that incorrect?
1: No, it was, but only in the year or the, in in the time where we worked together, it was. Uh, but I think it's it's him himself. He was as well. He was a bit surprised by the speed I had, I guess, um, because when he came, you know, everybody rated him as the next world champion. I know, and okay. I think we, at the end of the day, you know, we were at a similar level. Um, but uh, because I, I read an interview, for, he, he made some comments about me at that time. And, you know, so he tried to do everything with internally to um, to make me nervous. Or he was a kind of political guy, but I understand, you know, he wanted to go on. So, so I think there was the perception in the paddock
0: that he was a Williams guy, you were a BM guy. Is That's that fair? right? And sort of because of all the,
1: issues between those two parties that we've already talked about there was as a result that, yeah. because because of the obvious uh, issue because i wanted to become world champion i saw the chance in that williams had and i saw the problems on the williams side as much as sometimes there were some problems on the bmw side but at least they were open about it williams never had a problem and they had a lot of problems you know but frank <laughs> didn't want to talk about it but, and, and did you see it as your job as the driver to get involved in non driving matters? It became my job because there was, it was so difficult between the two parties uh, to have a proper conversation and to just get on with the job. It, it, sometimes it was really difficult, I have to say. And, uh, well, you could do it, uh, Juan Pablo way, you know, don't give a shit, just drive. But I wanted, you know, my plan was different and, and long term, but it didn't work out at the end. So let's talk teammates
0: then, but we'll, we'll come on to Toyota. So your teammates, Fisichella, Damon Hill, Alex Zanardi, we haven't met, but Jensen Button, that first year at Williams, Montoya, yeah. truly. Who was the fastest of
1: that lot? This is a difficult... I would say Juan Pablo was clearly the fastest over one lap over the race no in general because Juan Pablo was good at qualifying uh mentally very strong and uh okay sometimes he took a very high risk on overtaking but he was quite good in that too um so no no as a package I think he was the best teammate to work with and uh Maybe, but I think we even did at a test. So, uh, If if I choose a teammate to go out for dinner, then Jensen uh, would be the better one, yeah.
0: Jensen, <laughs> well, what about Jensen as a driver too? Because he comes in in 2000, it's his
1: first year, he's 20 years old. He was fast, but he was young at that time. He just started and, it, uh, you know, if you start on a team, you need about three to six months, half of this first, you know, season to, to be in it and to get the best out of it. Uh, for sure he was strong too, but he was quite young. A, he was that. What about the year before
0: that, Alex Sonardi, he won everything. Well of course there was he had a Formula One career with Lotus and things. Then he goes to America and dominates there. Were
1: you surprised that it didn't come together for him? He couldn't handle the car. For him, it was the braking situation was a problem because he was used to steel brakes. Um, And the car was always on a nervous side. And uh, I mean, beside the fact that the car was really terrible. (laughs) What, the 99? (laughs) (laughs) The only good thing about it was the design. (laughs) I mean, and then we had this engine and it was just a difficult year. But it was clear when when I I joined the team, uh, it was clear. And and even at that time... you know, we were still full steel suspension and everything. It was, uh, yeah, a special car. And uh, Alex was an easy teammate, but he was a bit too far away and that didn't help the development. Uh, and and the, the other problem was he always wanted different things than I wanted. Uh, but luckily, because he was so much slower sometimes that, you know, the team just followed uh, the other route, luckily.
0: All right, so it comes to an end at Williams you go to Toyota how hopeful were you
1: going there the motivation was there it was uh, they, I mean money was never a question there um I just remember when I signed it I went out of the door with Willie and, and in front of the door I said, you know because we Willie wasn't sure and I said well what should we do and I said I'm aware of the fact it works. Then we continue. If it doesn't work, that's the last three years of Formula One. You uh, knew that going yeah, in, sure. yeah, sure. Going out when I signed, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, were, were there any other options on the table at that point? Um, yeah, but nothing. Nothing. That was the best option we had. Right. Yeah, and uh, and the the biggest potential because you know that team with all those budgets, possibilities, and, and Toyota as a, as a you know, a mega manufacturer, you thought, okay. And there w- would have been a possibility. The only problem uh, is a culture problem, and the way that Toyota got successful. Because the way they run the company is to, to keep t- rotating positions to make sure quality is there, and anybody, everybody, at any time can reproduce the same product, uh, and not depending on one or a single or a couple of people. Um, that doesn't work in Formula 1 because, you know, you, you need uh, to be continuously strong. You need the right people at the right position for a long time t- to just go there. And uh, Japanese, they didn't trust the, the Europeans a bit. And then, you know, all they, they were more busy writing reports than, than trying to work on on, on actual things. So... It was a bit of a shame because everybody was motivated from all sides, but maybe we should have approached it a bit different. Interesting. So they'd
0: already been in Formula One for three years by the time you got there and they still hadn't quite worked
1: out what they needed. Well, I think the problem was a little bit, and I understand when they first started to work, maybe the European part of the organization wasn't at the level it should have been. And I think they just didn't understand why, you know, because they knew or whatever they did, whenever they did it, they were successful and fast. And they didn't want to believe it as the most successful car company that something, uh, the most successful, that something goes not the way they expected. And I think they didn't trust Europe Uh, that much anymore and then they wanted to get involved I mean you know we spent a crazy amount of uh, we had an engine development in Cologne with with the Italian side and then they did a second engine in Japan just to show Cologne that they could have been better theoretically which they weren't but they tried you know so money was spent on that and things like that yeah
0: and and were you did you try and bring anyone in from a technical point of oh yes
1: I brought uh, I brought uh, (laughs) there were a few people Yeah, I brought a few people in, but uh, we had a technical director at the time, an English one uh, that for sure was a very nice guy. But I think he was maybe the operation was a bit too big for him. And um, since I was in very good contact to Michelin, uh, and at the time uh, there was a guy that I always worked at Michelin, he was in charge of the uh, race operation for Michelin, and um, yeah. Let's say he then took over the, the organization of Toyota and I think it was all going the right way, but um, it was too late. <laughs> uh, do you know what? <laughs> Ralph, it's really interesting reliving, because of course I was there as a
0: journalist as well, but it's really interesting just, it seems your F1 career, particularly with Williams and Toyota, was, it could easily have been different, or well,
1: particularly with Williams maybe, less so with Toyota, but frustrating mm. but it didn't work I mean you know at, at the end of the day that's why I always say six grand prix you know some people I I don't think is any is a big achievement uh, in in 11 year or 11 season of of formula 1 because there was uh, more potential On the other hand, you you see today is the same. You know, if you end up in the right team, you have a possibility. If you don't, that's it. You know, look at Nico Hülkenberg. Uh, He's doing Formula 1 for how long now? He wasn't even on the podium. Uh, And it looks pretty much like it's his his last season. And for sure, he had a big potential, but he never got a chance. Mm. What was the happiest time of your career? Where were you happiest? I have to say, I was always quite happy. I I just didn't like the, the situations where... we. I mean, life in Formula One is difficult enough. But if you start to make your life difficult internally for nothing, for no reason, then it starts to be frustrating. Um, but then, you know, like I, I did my work, and then, and I think I did it quite good. I could have been more pushy sometimes. I work harder. That, that's clear. Uh, what do, What do you mean by that? Well, I I think that that at, at some stage. If you want to do something, then then maybe you have to put a bit more effort and um, like going into even more into details uh, with setups and so on. At that time, we didn't have the possibility like today, but still there was enough. And maybe I did a mistake there too, should ask my engineers, <laughs> but in, in, in general... Um, I was always able to enjoy, and even if I was really unhappy at the end of the day, I went to a nice restaurant with my friends and enjoyed the evening because you know you sometimes you cannot change things in life best car I think it was the time that two thousand three and two thousand four car no two thousand three I think was quite good four was was a bit difficult and uh yeah and I think it was a great moment uh, when the first race in BMW we finished third uh, on the podium was a great moment too with this engine at that time. Best race? I don't know. I still remember that once I had a race in Manicur where we started 18th or 19th and I finished fifth or sixth with this car at that time. That was a great race, I remember. But there's no other special occasion that I could think of.
0: Can I ask you about... Canada 01 you win the race Michael's okay brother Michael's second the only siblings
1: to have achieved that in the history of the sport for, for us I mean we we were pretty strong and I, I just because my son happened to show it to me uh, like not too too long ago uh, that's why I remember I think I stayed out longer because I couldn't overtake on track I something like that and I, I took it I overtook him on in the pits uh i'm just stuck on this memory of back in the schumacher
0: household you and david sitting down watching your old race win no no he showed to me i
1: mean i I don't i don't don't, sit down i I know no no no, he showed to me because it was a i don't know why but one thing i have to say they all enjoy all the kids what they talk about is the sound we had at a time sound sound Mm -hmm. engine sound uh and actually, they're right. It's, it's uh, you know the, those. I mean, we did more than twenty thousand at the end RPM, and okay, it was horrible to work in that environment sometimes. As God, you, it was noisy, wasn't it? It was noisy. Yeah. What Very, was it like uh, in the car when you're somewhere like Monaco going through the tunnel? Yeah, that's okay because yeah, no, that's not a even. The the biggest problem at that time was background noises or uh, frequency for the radio. Uh, but apart from that, wasn't a problem.
0: But so so you and David, you sat down watching canada
1: 2001 no he, no he showed it quickly <laughs> on the mobile phone to me i don't know why it was uh, but that's why i remember i overtook da- uh, david uh, michael in the pits but we had a better car at that time and uh with the lower fuel but i just couldn't i, I remember uh, that's why i saw it i tried to overtake him a couple of times for straight line speed the ferrari was a little bit better in in, um, in montreal although we had the much stronger engine but aerodynamically we had like a garage door a little bit so uh driving garage door so (laughs) sorry it's the truth efficiency (laughs) the car was good was well balanced but efficiency was a problem uh yeah and uh, we happened to win the one can you remember the podium i mean no just being up there i was wondering no i can't sorry i was yeah. Any cheeky comments from the younger brother?: No, not at all. I mean uh, no, no we, uh, we really fighted hard against each other in some occasions when, when it was possible, for whatever reason. but um, for us, I mean I mean everything that Michael did, I, w- I was so happy for him and it was really amazing, and every time I was fast or I had a good weekend was the same for him uh, that there was never an issue. How intense was that rivalry? Um, life it, when, when when I was that year when it got closer sometimes it was a bit more difficult that's the way it is because at the end of the day we were responsible for our team partner sponsors and we clearly divided that and even at dinner we never talked about motor racing or never about the car uh, at the end of the season sometimes or in the beginning when I was at Jordan okay that was a different story but um, uh n- cannot remember that we ever talked about details or anything we were too competitive for that
0: i find that quite i mean as someone i've got i've got a brother and anyone else listening who's got siblings it's to live through such an intense
1: period as formula one with a sibling must be an extraordinary experience yeah but when you asked me in the beginning the only thing i have to say is that it's really a shame because it goes so fast and week by week and we had test race test race test race that you miss out sometimes to enjoy or to remember things that's why i cannot remember things it's, it's in 11 years it's a blur. in 11 years time you travel around the globe uh, so fast and you know week by week i was at home like I think one year was because my ex-wife counted it, uh, sixty-two days or sixty-three days, something like that. Okay, being a race driver, you know, it's it's, uh, compared to a mechanic or working a team, you have a nice life. But still, just to explain the situation, you know, you come from Malaysia, you sit after race, eleven o'clock flight, I think it was eleven thirty back to Europe, five o'clock in Frankfurt, quickly home, Uh, Monday afternoon, uh, Harrah's, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday testing if not Friday and if we didn't do more than 100 laps Frank called us already why didn't we do 100 laps at least you know so it's uh, it's yeah it's I true know, Ralph these guys
0: have it so easy now yeah. that's what that's what we're concluding isn't it
1: yeah but I don't think it's good because Formula One to me not in each country but struggles a little bit because Formula One for me every week you were hearing or seeing something of Formula One Especially if I consider just Germany, England, I know every news, even at the test, teams were there and promoting Formula. I mean, media teams were there to promote Formula One, uh, and we miss that a bit, in my opinion. Okay, we have more races, understand, but uh, that—that's what Formula One misses to me. Did you enjoy testing? No, <laughs> <laughs> clear no. I mean, in a word. Even when when the car was new, it was fine, uh, but just. You know, when you do the second race simulation at this, at that first test day or whatever, uh, and test the same thing every day, it it can be quite tough sometimes. And especially when you're tired, you know, you just did the overseas race, you come back with jet lag and everything. Um, but I have to say, when, when I had my accident in the States, and I had to... I was like three months off, and it was the first test in Silverstone, it was really most impressive to be back in a car. That remembered me of how nice it is to drive a Formula One car or reminded me, um, because you know, with all the years driving, 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 you sometimes forget the pleasure a bit, uh, but there it was really amazing to be back in that car.
0: Of course, that accident you're talking about was the one that we ended up with just six cars on the grid, didn't we, in uh, Mm -hmm. Indianapolis. Is that, that's what you're referring
1: to? Mm -hmm. Nope, that was the year before.
0: Uh, Hang on. So we're talking about. I was talking about the US Grand Prix in 2005. Yeah, but I hit the wall
1: twice. <laughs> <laughs> once in a Williams, once in Toyota. You did. Uh,
0: the but Toyota were,
1: was the one that ended up. That was up soft. With the, that was yeah. fine. Yeah, but that was because it was a right angle and and uh, it was lucky, uh, and I slid it alongside. The, the bigger problem was when uh, there was an accident at the start, and there was some debris on the track, and I think we cut the tire, and I got a puncture, and exploded tire in the banking, and I uh, spun rearwards into the into the wall that was the one I'm talking about. So, so I had to to stop for three months. Was it the back? Yeah, with the bra and uh, some other things, but yeah, so two were broken. And uh,
0: do, yeah. do you have any lasting effects now? Or are you physically 100%? No, 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 <laughs> <laughs> no. no, no, it's all fine. no, uh, luckily, physically <laughs> good. Your is no, okay. Yeah. yeah? Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, did want to ask you one question in that, Would your career have been different had Michael not been a Formula One driver?
1: The question is, would I have have made it to Formula One if Michael wouldn't have been there? I cannot tell you. So I don't think so. I think everything, the way it it went was okay. It just uh, didn't work out for sure down to me sometimes and a bit unlucky with the incidents and accidents I had. That's interesting. If you could change one thing in your career, what would you change? Any decision or... Mm. No decision I wouldn't... Decisions I wouldn't change. I think I would be, in general, maybe a little more focused on what I did and I would have been stronger on what I wanted in a team because there was a chance and I made, made... some mistakes. I should have had more influence on the situation before I signed the extension or the, the second contract with Williams. Uh, influence in terms of what? Of organization, and how to,
0: to, to be able to go forward. I want to see more integration between BMW and,
1: well, that's kind of, yes. is that what we're talking about? Bigger picture. Yes. That, that was the biggest mistake because both, all three of us, all four, including Juan Pablo could have been more successful.
0: Mm. And so, when are we next going to see? Well, when are we going to see David, son David, in Formula
1: One? Well, I? I mean, he's doing now like the first experience in Formula Three international, and he's young. He, I mean, okay, he turns eighteen these days. Uh, some crazy. Anyway, doesn't matter. Don't want to get into that. But um, depending on on how he does now, and maybe we do Macau as well. We decide what we do next year. I think he's a calm person. He has some potential, but it's very early to say. And I think, you know, from what, what I learned in my life when I was in Formula 3, my target was to be strong in Formula 3. I didn't think about the next step. And that's the way we keep doing And that's it. with him as well, you're trying?
0: Yes. I've got to ask this question.
1: Is he faster than his dad? I hope so, <laughs> because <laughs> that, that, that makes sense. You know, after only six races uh, in Formula One and uh, nothing else, it makes sense if, be- if he's better than I am. <laughs> oh, well, it's, it's been wonderful to chat. So, I mean, what, do you think three years' time? About what? David. I don't know where he's in three years' time. First of all, he has to be good in Formula Three. And if he's good enough, maybe people see him and want him for the Formula Two okay and, we
0: see. And, and have you got any ambitions outside of racing
1: not not really i mean i i, I like I, you know the life i live is is great i'm still in motorsports in 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 the junior classes that's what i said in the beginning i really like that uh now i do sky and uh do you like being a tv pundit uh yes but uh on I don't know it's, it's just uh, funny when I do something I want to do it right and uh, it's a complete different thing and commentary I mean I'm not only an expert to be an expert it's not easy but it's easier when you have somebody asking you a question and okay with the knowledge I have from my old days and listening a bit you can handle the situation but being two and a half hours or two hours in total is two and a half hours in front of that monitor and to Make the comments about what's happening is a different story, completely different story, and I was afraid of doing that. And in the beginning, it was quite hard. It's now getting better and better, but I'm not happy with it yet. And to work on that is is a target, and that's why I like it too. You know, it's really is it is a challenge for me.
0: When the light goes red and then you're on camera, do you feel relaxed? Do you do you get a I buzz? Feel, out of it? No,
1: I feel relaxed. That's not a problem. The only thing I'm not happy with is. Or not good in yet is interviewing other drivers because it's a position I don't know I don't like yet uh, so I don't feel comfortable and that I can see myself uh, I only did two yet uh, once with Toto and once with Charles Charles Leclerc day, yes yesterday go on how how
0: was it how do you find Charles Leclerc uh, I think German is probably
1: the only language he can't speak <laughs> no he he knows what he wants and you can clearly tell and and uh, uh, but. And I think he will be the future star in Ferrari and maybe after as well. And he's doing a real good job. Uh, He's a calm, towards the outside, a calm kid. But uh, I think very, very focused, let's call it that way, on on what he wants. And a small taste we got on the radio in Singapore, I would say, (laughs) of that. But he's clever enough, uh, even in an interview, to apologize for it. And uh, he said, I need to change the style on that. So uh, I think we're going to enjoy him a lot in Formula 1. And especially, I'd be surprised what's happening when he will have his world championship, his first one, or when he will be longer in Formula 1, more mature. And um, he's gonna be, it's going to be interesting. Why, why, why do you find it difficult interviewing drivers? Because you know how they think. Surely the one. No, no, it's just uh, uncomfortable to ask the questions, you know, and uh, it's just an uncomfortable sit- situation for me. Not, not, uh, it's not difficult. I have to get into it more, you know, more open, more, f- and not only listening to the questions, get in there, but it's, it's something, or to the answers, I mean, it's something that I have to get used to. That's it.
0: And I guess what, Kimmy's the only guy still going from your yep. era. He's four years younger than I'm, I think. yeah. Mm hmm.
1: For you, yeah, he <laughs> might still be doing it when he's 44. Yeah, well, yeah, but I have to say, he's doing a good job still, you know. And, yeah. um, why not? Chapeau, chapeau. Well, <laughs> look, chapeau to you. It's been wonderful to chat, Ralph. Thank you so much for your time. It's just been great to relive. I hope he hasn't, you know. I hope you've enjoyed it too. No, no, it was, was a great experience. Normally, I said things that I wouldn't say, but who cares? It's a long time ago, so I'm allowed to. All right, All All right, right. To. thanks so much. <laughs> Cheers.
0: There were lots of little gems in there that I enjoyed, although I don't think Williams and BMW will necessarily enjoy his assessment of their partnership. But what surprised me a bit is that Ralph is completely at ease with what he achieved in Formula One. He's happy with his six race wins. And it was also fascinating to hear what he had to say about brother Michael and the influence that Michael had on him and his career. And I'd like to take this moment on behalf of F1 fans all over the world to say, keep fighting, Michael thanks for your time ralph it was great to see you and great to catch up well that's it for this episode but we'll be back in just seven sleeps with another big name from the world of f1 until then why not subscribe to be on the grid if you haven't already we're on all of your favorite podcast apps including apple and spotify and thanks for your feedback about last week's episode with ralph's former teammate jensen button jb was in cracking form and you guys loved hearing from him excellent episode and great insights on jensen's career said rahul aurora via twitter nice to hear jensen mention lewis alonso and schumacher he's truly one of the best sportsmen f1 has seen couldn't agree more rahul not only was jb a great driver he's now a great ambassador for the sport as well and he talks with so much passion about f1 As ever, please keep your feedback coming. We love it. And remember to use the hashtag F1BeyondTheGrid and you can tweet me at tomclarksonf one Beyond the Grid is produced by F1 in association with Audioboom. Until next time,
1: keep it flat out.